Today's process industries face an intersection of capital competitive demands. On the one hand, net zero carbon emission goals are demanding out-of-the-box process innovations that go beyond incremental gains in operational efficiency. And on the other, industry is pushing hard to implement digital solutions that improve economic performance while better leveraging the capabilities of a thinly stretched aging workforce, even as competitive pressures intensify. But do operating companies have to choose between environmental sustainability and economic viability? Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com, and thank you for joining me for another Solution Spotlight edition of the Control Amplified podcast, today sponsored by Honeywell Process Solutions. Today, I'm pleased to say we're coming to you live from America's 2022 Honeywell's annual user group meeting being held this year in Orlando. And joining me today to talk about the synergies between the pursuit of sustainability goals and autonomous operations is John Culpo, Global Manager, Marketing and Strategy for Honeywell's oil and gas business. Welcome, John. Thanks for the hospitality here in Orlando and taking the time out of a very busy schedule to uh, share your insights with us. It's a pleasure, Keith. Yeah. It's been busy, but fun. <laughs> Are you adjusting to the time zone change from Tasmania? Oh, not quite yet. No, okay. I, I'm, 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 I've crashed, yeah. come back alive, but uh, it's been uh, up and down, but I had a couple of hours sleep last night, so I think oh, I, we can uh, have a bit of fun. You'll so. just be getting it when you have to, when it's time to go back, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally screw you up. We've had a great turnout in our first face-to-face group since uh, before yeah. the pandemic, actually. Yeah. It's been good to properly reconnect with everyone. There's a lot happening at the world at the moment, and the discussions we've had with our customers have been amazing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real... It feels really great to be back in person because... The connection is just so much more visceral and so more meaningful than it is over Zoom or go to meeting exactly. or, or, yeah. or, or Teams, worse yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, Microsoft. That's <laughs> all. But anyway, let's dive right in here. Um, you know, many oil and gas companies have already committed themselves to really roadmaps designed to bring about net zero operation in years to come. Uh-huh. And those that haven't yet likely will uh, soon. But oil and gas operators especially are leaders in implementing technologies and work process that really advance autonomy and economic performance of their operations. In what ways do you see these initiatives really building upon and synergizing mm. with each other? Mm. Yes, Pete. So many of our upstream and downstream customers have committed to certain goals, as you say, mm. and they're sharing with us at this event the complexities of making progress in the time that they've set out been set out generally by the mm-hmm. board. And yeah. some strategies they're finding are more dependent on external factors. So, uh, for example, we may need uh, markets to develop for new low-carbon products like green hydrogen, for example, or perhaps we may need to wait for permanent CO2 sequestration. So yeah. these um, external dependencies make it hard to progress in every capacity, but there is some low-hanging fruit that um, we've discovered that um, might be a bit interesting and provide some positive return on investment right up front. Okay, great. You know, I think one of the things that that I've seen is that while process operations are necessarily managed in in near real time, ESG is almost done like in the rearview mirror by the month or by the quarter at best. What steps are being taken to unify these management silos and establish more common reference point between the automation systems and the ESG type of reporting yeah. parameters. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's quite normal. I guess the silo effect in organizations is quite well known with 
each department, uh, you know, especially in upstream, you know, with boards having prioritised greenhouse gas abatement and, and um, ESG strategies, um, which requires significant capital investment. So these have been prioritised over some existing investments around, say, um, operational excellence or mm-hmm. uh, ultimate recovery. Um, and uh, they're sort of bumping against each other. I've talked to a lot of upstream customers and um, most have found a good approach which um, supports the integration of initiatives that may have otherwise been mutually mm-hmm. exclusive or overlap, and that's to have a lean ESG department. Mm-hmm. Uh, that department uh, sets strategy, sets targets, um, designs the technical concepts and benchmarks progress to be made, mm-hmm. but leaves the engineering and execution to the individual assets. Mm-hmm. That way, if several stakeholders need a specific um, OT or IT, you know, let's say um, ESG needs greenhouse gas sensing around equipment and mm-hmm. the maintenance department wants CHM sensing on equipment and operations needs sensing actuators in the equipment, then all this can be implemented in a unified and integrated and fault-tolerant system. So a great example of this uh, new type of sensing system is the Versatalis transmitters that Mm -hmm. we just announced at User Group and that are unbelievably easy to locate, install, and support sensing for operations and DHM with more to come, but I can't talk about that yet. (laughs) I did see uh, Jason demonstrating the uh, fugitive emission sensors, the wireless devices. Is is that more of what you're talking about, or is that a little bit... That is exactly what I'm not going to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, well, he did say they were coming later this year, so he's already told a thousand people from the stage, so I guess I can still still move into that contest, but... Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. You can tow the company line, but... I think that that's tremendous because I think fugitive emissions is one of those things that uh, that needs more attention because when you think of of, course, of methane yeah. having you know an order of magnitude more effect than carbon oh, dioxide exactly. as a as a greenhouse gas, yeah. it's it's a it's a critical thing to get a handle on. Times after a hundred years, and I think eighty something. Oh yeah, and it persists longer yeah. as well. That's that's true. Yeah. So we'll look forward to more information on that uh, when it's when it's ready later yes, this year, as I understand. Yeah. So, It'll be soon. Soon. Yeah. That sounds great. That sounds sorry. I didn't mean to pull the covers off too far, but uh, but Jason did it ahead of you, so I think we'll yeah. be okay. Um, what other strategies and best practices are oil and gas companies using to better manage their performance and direct their investments against these twin mm. objectives? Do you mm. have any specific yeah. things? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll return to the point I made about external dependencies. So mm-hmm. any progress requires investment, and that investment needs to be carried by the company's cash flow. You know, so various strategies make sense only somewhere along the timeline that the board has set up uh, for mm-hmm. each of the uh, abatement milestones. So not everything can be done at once. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be impossible and risky. So... Um, so we have to ask ourselves, what should be done first? So it's well known that there are four main methods of uh, uh, abating greenhouse gases, and these are based on the eliminate, reduce, substitute, and compensate method. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to apologize. It's going to be a little bit hard to follow a lot of detail here, but uh, I assure everyone it's worth knowing the first is monitoring compliance and mitigating those fugitive emissions and mm-hmm. um, reducing unplanned flaring as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So that solves the eliminate uh, mm-hmm. leg. Then you've got optimization and electrification. Um, 
more about those later, and they solve the reduce. Mm -hmm. um, third includes transitioning uh, your products and fuel imports, so transitioning to biofuels, renewable products, um, and uh, you know things like renewable hydrogen, and it also includes carbon capture and sequestration. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Compensation, the, the, the last one, um, that's more about um, uh, carbon credits and direct air capture of CO2. Mm -hmm. So amongst others, optimization is the low-hanging fruit in this uh, sort of tree of, of strategies. So optimization, or as we um, prefer to uh, look at it, industrial autonomous, mm -hmm. is itself a large topic but it has um, many components that can be implemented much sooner than some of the and, you know, and less dependencies uh, and provides positive cash flow in the shortest time. Mm -hmm. So that, as you were saying, mm -hmm. Keith, it can help uh, provide some of the capital that's required for the other mm -hmm. levers that we uh, will be, would be implementing later in the program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Look, turning from the sustainability more to the autonomous that you were talking about, the industrial right. autonomous, You've described kind of a, while we're talking about sets of fours, uh, there's a yeah. four-step maturity model on, on well, autonomy. Well, 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 five. Is it five? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, maybe yeah, a, yeah, okay, there's five. All right, now we've got all kinds of surprises. Um, can you kind of walk the, us through the, all those five uh, stages of maturity and how an yeah. oil and gas company's maturity on that scale can really correlate with improved sustainability performance and not yes. be mutually exclusive? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love to. So... Um, yes, yeah, so our maturity model for autonomous operations was proposed by Jason, our CTO, a couple mm -hmm. of years ago to help us and to help our customers better focus our efforts. And uh, yeah, so it does have five uh, okay. yeah, layers. So it's a big topic. Uh, I, I oh, am yeah. feeling a bit challenged to yeah. simplify. We're only we're only covering. Yeah, the the vague outlines at this yeah. point. I'm afraid. Well, we'll 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 do five more on these different okay, stages. Yeah, okay, yeah, there we yeah. go. I can come back. There you go. Um, but uh, but we will cover it now, and and I'll certainly do my best here. So um, we have five layers. So the first, mm -hmm. and, and 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 we have to acknowledge that you know, most most uh, upstream players are, are already uh, a tier or above, and yeah. and many of the elements of these five are implemented. Um, you know, by, by many of our uh, you know, offshore customers and so on. Yeah. So, um, no judgment. Just, um, yeah. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a way of labeling and focusing sure. our efforts. So it's a journey. Different people are at different corners in the road, but uh, exactly. this is the whole. This is the full road. Exactly. Yeah. And you can you can be implementing elements of the top one and, and not have uh, you know, done all of the elements of the third layer. And, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. So exactly. but anyway, it's it's good to have a, a framework so you can sort of tick off all the the opportunities and, and mm -hmm. work out. You know, some of these are interdependent, sort of work out the interdependency a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so the first layer, controlled and optimized. So mm -hmm. This is where every item of equipment on the process is fully, uh, fully automated, I should say, not uh, mm -hmm. and, um, and more progressive techniques like uh, advanced pro you know, model-based mm -hmm. advanced process control is implemented, and that is brilliant at stabilizing um, um, processes, equipment, um, and um, improving uh, production, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, um, and here's where it starts to count 
for um, greenhouse gas abatement. Mm-hmm. It reduces imports like energy, so uh, reducing um, fuel that's consumed. So mm-hmm. less fuel consumed, less goes out the exhaust and into the atmosphere. Um, a few more techniques you know, advanced advance alarm management, just keeping um, that asset, that working asset, controlled and operated safely and in an optimized way. So mm-hmm. you wouldn't know, say that everyone's at that level, but you know, mm-hmm. a lot of players uh, sure. uh, in the upstream world are, are operating on that. So yeah. moving on to then the next um, uh, second, so intelligent operations. Okay. So here we begin to look at lowering uh, cost of operations and mm-hmm. so one of the biggest payrolls in an upstream organization is for example the uh, maintenance department and sure. you know they're often not accused let's say they're, they're, they're often um, found, uh, find themselves doing work that results in sort yeah. of no action so yeah. uh, for example my, my my daughter's learning to drive now and I, yeah. I, and I described to her that her tires need to be checked every week, yeah. and um, if she doesn't check her tires, uh, you know the pressure will go down, and she'll wear out that tire and even have to pay, you know, uh, for mm-hmm. a new tire. So when she goes to that tire every week to check the pressure, and finds that the pressure is okay, yeah. she's annoyed. Like didn't <laughs> have to do it, right? I made her do it, yeah. and that's what maintenance is like. You know, yeah. all this um, sort of legacy preventative maintenance, periodic maintenance, yeah. you know, results in a lot of unnecessary work. So I mean, going through the motions, or at least that's how technicians feel. Exactly. They're not really doing anything yeah. beneficial. Yeah. So so predictive maintenance, you know, mm-hmm. so where you, you, you operate the equipment to the point where it's just about to fail. Yeah. It's just something's just about to go wrong. So you've got the mm-hmm. maximum use that you can out of that mm-hmm. metal that you've bought, out of you know, electronics and everything. So how do you how do you find that point in time yeah. that now's the right time to maybe yeah. stop that equipment, switch over to the standby, get someone out there to fix it up. So so that's preventative maintenance. So you need a bit of a bit of uh, IT bit of um, a bit of nows to do that so mm-hmm. we've got a great in for JPM and and uh, these new Satalas um, transmitters for example we've got a great EHM technique mm-hmm. that enables um, um, our upstream customer well, not just upstream customers yeah. really, everyone it's pretty to, pretty to, usable across industrial applications yes, exactly to 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 transform maintenance to preventative maintenance you mm-hmm. know, to sort of Condition-based maintenance is, is, is another name for it. That, yeah. uh, anyway, that's just a, one example. I, sure. I need to be a bit more comprehensive, I guess. Yeah, I so. think one of the interesting things about some of those preventive maintenance strategies, sometimes you do more harm than good by yeah, you know, checking things or, or doing some proactive measure that doesn't need to be done. Sometimes you sometimes cause you, more problems than you, you cure. Yeah. You, you sound like you've worked in the industry, because that is true. The life cycle of some... Multi-million dollar valves in upstream, in fact, um, is about uh, you know ten operations, and and you're required by law to test them. So yeah. you might actually have only five operations in real life because you've wasted five testing. So you, <laughs> you're spot on. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, okay. just just completing level two here. So yeah. Um, yeah, so this is where we begin sort of beginning to integrate operations, mm-hmm. you know, the different sort of um, disciplines and maybe 
uh, looking at sharing some of the know-how between assets. You know, there's a, the workforce, um, you know, that said that it's aging and, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to replace people with know-how. So begin to look at implementing some, some OT and IT that can help us, some of that collaboration and sure. multi-skilling um, and so on. So, uh, yeah, moving on. So level three, we've got remote operations. So here's mm-hmm. where we begin yeah. to sort of seriously um, look at um, transforming our assets. So we, we take the, you know, every asset will have its own control room. So here's where we seriously say, well, a lot of people are going to um, have you know, a good improvement in life because they're not going to have to go out to this oil and gas asset. We're going to mm-hmm. stretch that control room and bring it all the way into town. Yeah. And we're going to operate that asset. We're going to operate other assets yeah. um, from that remote operation center. Yeah. And we've got some great technology for that in Experion. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that allows is to bring the staff into... You know, closer, you know, they can live closer to home, yeah. spend less time on the road, and they can be involved. Your best staff can be involved in operating several assets. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I expect the pandemic certainly accelerated well, development it, and it, acceptance it, of those technologies it, too. Yeah. You wouldn't. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've seen. We've seen. Um, I, I guess even in, in the, everyone's workplace, um, yeah. remote operation has just become mm-hmm. the norm. Absolutely. Um, what I want to say about this level is it sounds advanced and uh, you know and it sounds like it needs IoT and all that, but in fact, that level of remote operations has been quite common with uh, many of our progressive upstream customers mm-hmm. for some time. Yeah. So it's been very achievable, and uh, it's really you know it's that sort of leaves a, a lot of good stuff yet to come because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, IoT is quite amazing. Has sort of revolutionised how things uh, can be done, mm-hmm. and, and we haven't even begun to use that. So, yeah. yeah. So moving on to level number four. Okay. So um, this is the um, level we're looking at. Um, sorry, resilience. So we're looking at improving fault tolerance, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, the um, asset and the equipment um, mm-hmm. remains, you know, which has been simplified um, there, there are typically no or fewer people around if there are people around they're less expert and so on so mm-hmm. it needs to be self-healing and fault tolerant mm-hmm. um, and there are great technologies that have come out of the IOT or the industry mm-hmm. version 4.0 it's a sort of a paradigm or revolution mm-hmm. so this is where you know cloud remote sensing all, all that sort of cool stuff gets involved I would imagine even this, uh, the the IO Hive and Control Hive principles, where you can yeah. have um, distributed backups that, that exactly. switch over automatically and yeah. can, can fill in for each other. That's another thing that you don't need somebody there on site to uh, to, exactly. to, to yeah. shepherd that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that abstraction between the sort of physical things and their sort of virtual yeah. um, uh, uh, avatar. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, has been a really powerful um, enabler of um, not only improving the fault tolerance of everything, but being able to remove this sort of um, uh, trap of, of, of where things are located. Things right. can be done from anywhere. Anything yeah. can be done from yeah. anywhere these days. Control, yeah. um, you know, operations, human interaction, yeah. sensing, and so on. It's just a change of paradigm. It's going to take everybody a little time. 
a little while to get used to it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think yeah. But it's working. Just my thing. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, and then finally, and you know, this is the, finally level five autonomous. So you know, yeah, it's true. Like not everything yeah. um, is has been solved yet. You know, we've right. got some use cases for yeah. the drones and robots, and 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 most upstream players are, are yeah. piloting. But you know, but it's it, it's exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Some of this is uh, already achievable, and it's and, and, and it's um, only going to involve. So uh, as soon as we think we got there, yeah. with how we're going to use um, robotics and drones and, yeah. uh, and you know machine learning now, sort of basically, yeah. I think already done artificial intelligence. I think it's already done. Yeah. Um, as soon as we think we get there, the, I think the, the horizon is going to move on us. <laughs> that's for sure. Move. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I, I, I probably spoke a bit too long, but, but no, um, that's okay. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause I, I, I really um, think that the, the oil and gas majors and a lot of the, the progressive companies that have really paved the way on this uh, autonomy um, mm. maturity model, yeah. and yet they're also under perhaps the most scrutiny around sustainability. Um, sure. What what lessons can other other industry players learn from um, the examples or the lessons being learned by oil and gas uh, yeah, companies? Sure. Yeah. What, uh, are there key ones, that key strategies that they should adopt first? Um, I mean, what, what lessons would you recommend? Yeah, good, good point, James. I think much of what we've discussed can be uh, applied across other hard-to-abate industries. Yeah. So, um, you know, these might be a sort of conventional power generation, mm-hmm. steel and cement. So yeah. you know, you've got possibly 70% of greenhouse gas emissions just in those three industries yeah. alone. Um, yeah, so concepts like remote operations and integrated operations have been, as you're saying, Keith, have been common in oil and gas for some time, but those same concepts can apply to these industries sure. uh, and that will lead to the same reduced costs and operations. So again, it can be done early. Um, there are no dependent, sorry, fewer dependencies in some of the other abatement strategies, and can provide top, uh, positive cash flow much sooner than the more radical abatement uh, levers that we discussed. Yeah. Great, great. Well, thanks so much, John, for uh, sharing your perspective with us today. Mm. It's been thought provoking and a real pleasure. Once again, my guest today has been John, John Culpo responsible for global marketing and strategy lead for Honeywell Process Solutions oil and gas business. So thank you all for tuning in, and thanks, too, to Honeywell for sponsoring this episode. My name is Keith Larson, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes Store and at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time. It's really such a pleasure to have you oh, here in person. It's much it, more fun oh, to it, do this it, in person than... Uh, so is Kate, yeah. All right. Next one we'll do over a beer. Okay. All right. Deal. <laughs>